I think a lot of people don't feel that they almost can access some of these, um, you know, treatments and things. So for them, it's knowing a clear pathway on how to get help, who to ask. And I think at the moment, what's probably very hard is the fact that because there's so many restrictions on dentists generally, people aren't trying to get that earlier help and things are sort of escalating before they maybe seek help. That was Sarah Pollard, and you're listening to the Bailiwick Podcast with me, David Conway. Earlier this week, a submission was published on the government website from local charity Super Smiles, who provide oral health education and support to children and their families. In the submission to Scrutiny, the charity's co-founder, Sarah Pollard, said that immediate action to reduce inequalities in Jersey services for children needed to be taken. She said that the children are waiting seven years for orthodontic treatment, and in the community department, over 5,000 children are awaiting a dental appointment. In response to this, a government spokesperson said that the pandemic had caused significant disruption across many healthcare services departments, including the dental and orthodontic, and as a result of the closures in 2020, several hundred appointments had to be postponed. They said that this has resulted in a backlog of patients waiting to be seen, and that an oral health strategy was being developed currently. To discuss some of the issues facing Jersey's dental services for children, and giving suggestions for how it could be addressed, Sarah Pollard from Super Smiles joined me in the Bailiwick studio. Sarah Pollard, welcome to the Bailiwick studio. Thank you very much. So first off, would you be able to explain to us a bit about the impact that COVID has had on dental services on the island? Unfortunately, dental services had to stop during the lockdown and have been quite slow to come back. Nobody's fault, just regulations. I think the impact that's had on children, though, has been quite profound. And it's taking a long time to be able to get back into some sort of routine and get the children back in. It's just a huge backlog, really. Mm. And you, you, in terms of children's routines in particular, I think you spoke about with sugar, with levels rising, staying at home more, eating more of those, I suppose, comfort foods. Is, is that an issue that you've seen rise? I think generally that's been a problem around the UK. Um, once children are taken out of their normal routines, it's amazing what gets lost. And I think the pressures of probably parents having to work from home, trying to keep children calm... There's been probably a lot more snacking going on. And I think the UK have just said that the uh, rates of obesity in children, primary school children, have gone from 25% to sort of a a third of children now. So we do know it's had quite a profound effect on the younger members of the population. And I think dentally it's been the same. Now, one striking quote from your recent scrutiny submission, which ties into that point, is around the fact that children are waiting seven years for orthodontic treatment, and in the community department, over 5,000 children are awaiting a dental appointment. How long has this waiting list been building up, and where does the root of it really stem from? I suspect for quite a while, and probably pre-COVID, particularly with the orthodontic waiting list. However, I do know that they have employed more orthodontists recently, so we are hoping for that to start to come down. The problem with the um, the children generally is the fact that they can only access free dental care up to the age of 11 at the hospital. And that means, although there are many, many dentists on the island that would be capable of doing this, children are only being seen in one place. They're currently, there is only one full-time dentist and a part-time one. So there just isn't the manpower to actually um, cope with that volume of children. 
So there are some quite easy solutions, really. If the children were able to go and see a general dentist anywhere, that's how it works in Guernsey, um, that would help. And then maybe the children who have problems and decay and need some further support, maybe they could be referred in and uh, sorted out very quickly at the hospital then. So, yes, could you explain that system a bit? The children have an option. Parents have an option to take their child wherever they'd like to go. But it's only free at the dental department from birth up to age 11. So pretty much up to, you know, that transition to secondary school. So that's put, that does definitely funnel them all in one direction. The problem they have post-COVID there is the fact that the system they have at the hospital it's not nobody's fault, but they just cannot determine who is due for a routine checkup and who was actually already waiting for treatment. So that's become quite a problem. I believe about 5,000 children have not been seen for a regular checkup. And I think there are over 450 children that before COVID were identified as requiring treatment. We're just not quite sure where they've all gone now and how to try and find them and do you know do you know what what what's gone wrong with the system in that way the reason that they, these these uh figures have, have sort of got lost no i have no idea um mm. i'm afraid one thing that we used to do that has stopped because of covid was the school screening and this i think needs to be urgently reinstated just simply to identify children who have need at the moment um I think when it's a good safety net, you don't know whether children are being taken privately. Uh, and maybe that's also happened a lot more where people have realised there's a long waiting list. But I think what we really need to do as a priority is get out in the schools very quickly, screen the children, identify who has the problems and maybe bring those in right now. And just the others are just reassured that all is well and, you know, just hold on for a little bit longer so we can get the system a little bit better. Mm. And in your submission as well, you, you mentioned that you talk about um, only prioritising children um, who are priorities for a while and having um, aerosol generating procedures minimised. Um, would you be able to explain a bit about what the difference between aerosol generator procedures are for people and also, you know, the thinking behind this in general and how that will help the system um, and sort of how it's clogged up at the moment and bring it down a bit? Yeah, sure. So aerosol generating procedures are anything that a dentist does that uses a drill, basically, and pro you know produces an aerosol, which is the bit that they were always concerned about and why we were closed down initially. So with the COVID winter ahead of us still, and um, people are still a little bit reluctant to go back to, can I say, normal practice, um, if we can actually form a system where we reduce that, it just means we'll be able to treat more people in a shorter time so at the moment the guidelines once we've used an actual drill as such um, are to have some uh, time then away from the surgery um, and let everything settle down and cleaning and things so if we can avoid that it just means we might have more hours in the day to actually treat the children Mm. And in terms of this um, checkup island-wide across primaries, this would be sort of the enabling factor to get to that point. It would enable us to identify those children. Is, is that, am I right in saying that's your... Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's just basic screening, uh, basic population screening where you go out, have a quick look at all the children and then just literally filter off the ones, identify the ones that have problems and try and get those straight into the system before they get more complicated and the 
they start either experiencing pain or the actual way to treat them becomes more complicated. Another term that was used in your submission that'd be good to sort of get a bit more elaboration on as well was the um, stabilization phase. Um, and just, just to explain what that would be, because that would come after that, wouldn't it? Yeah, pretty much. But this is part of it as well, really. I think once we've identified the children, if we could then work through them and get them restored and into a nice stable position, um, at that point when you know people aren't maybe going to be at a high risk of experiencing pain, you can then start to get back to a more routine way of, you know, normal checkups and things. Or maybe even come back to those children who might need further more sort of in-depth treatment it's just a way of I guess getting them into a phase where they're not going to be in a a real horrible situation and speaking of that um, one of the other points you make is that there isn't enough focus on prevention how can the government better put focus on that early intervention so we don't get to that point for a lot of children yeah primary prevention is um, essential really Um, 99 percent of all dental decay is preventable so it does seem um, a little bit silly that we don't have a preventive program we know that children are more likely to experience dental decay in those first five years of life um, and be more exposed to it so if we can focus a dental uh, prevention program from almost before birth really you know getting you know intercept with the parents earlier and get them on board with it then we've got a much greater chance of reducing the caries experience in childhood overall. Um, it's just a matter of making it a bit more accessible, I think. The health inequalities in Jersey are very great at the moment, unfortunately. Yes, and you mentioned that word inequalities. It comes up quite a few times in the submission. Um, I was wondering if you could elaborate on that a bit more too and sort of explain what some of those key inequalities are because you say it's not just on a basic social level. There are other there are other inequalities and I was just wondering if you could explore both the social side but also those other ones you allude to. Yes, I guess on the social side, it's it comes down to um, financial cost of things really I mean if somebody has a problem and they're able to go to a private dentist maybe for the orthodontics no somebody won't want to wait seven years so they'll go and um, access treatment elsewhere and that's that's fine it reduces burden on the system and that's great but for many people that's not available and I think a lot of people don't feel that they almost can access some of these um, you know treatments and things So for them, it's knowing a clear pathway on how to get help, who to ask. And I think at the moment, what's probably very hard is the fact that because there's so many restrictions on dentists generally, people aren't trying to get that earlier help and things are sort of escalating before they maybe seek help. And and what, what are some of those restrictions? Um, I suppose the main thing is cost for everything but from the other point of view it'll just be availability to actually be seen really so long we are prior they are prioritizing um, emergencies and children in pain but there are a lot of children out there waiting um, who do have discomfort maybe um, the other thing that they can suffer from if it's waiting for all the dentist treatment is, is mental health issues as well you know if you're teeth aren't straight and you're being called names and bullied at school all the day it's not a particularly pleasant way to live yeah 
And if you could summarize those key priorities for yourself in terms of going forward for the island, you know, the key things we need to do to get our, our dental care on a really good program, what would they be? I think we need, on a population level, an island-wide preventive plan, which is available to everybody, including parents and carers, not just children. Um, I also think we need to start considering allowing children to have a checkup once a year at the dentist of their choice. And I think that's something we need to consider covering the cost for, like Guernsey have. And then maybe keeping our resources of... Um, you know, children's dental care for a referral service only. I think that would be a good base on which to start. I think the most important thing is really trying to get access to the children as well. And that's also been very, very tricky, actually. Um, we do seem to have a real lack of island-wide policies. The schools enjoy a lot of autonomy, which is a great thing. But sometimes... Some schools and some children within schools are easier to access, so therefore will maybe experience a greater benefit of prevention on lots of levels, not just dental, than maybe other, other children. So I think we need to set some very clear island-wide, not just guidance, but policies that people actually adhere to as well. Sure, because you mentioned that head teachers can veto at the moment say the help you know you you offer obviously super smiles offer a um a program to help with education about um brushing teeth but there is at the moment obviously it's up to head teachers and schools to decide whether that education comes through or not so i suppose the suggestion is to try and integrate that into a government program of some sort yeah that would be ideal we do completely understand the um you know, the pressures teaching and the education system are under. And I must say that the education department on the whole have been absolutely fantastically supportive of Super Smiles. Um, before COVID, we were in every single primary school, you know, state run and private, and the majority of private nurseries as well. I think what we'd just like to see in some schools where we know the children are at a higher risk of experience decay just the opportunity to be able to give every child um, a chance at brushing at school every day. Tooth brushing programs have been up and running in the UK for a long time now and a really good, strong evidence base to show that they work well. And I guess it's just disappointing when we are able to run it in one or two years and then it just stops. And we know those children aren't necessarily brushing at home. And we hear all the arguments about it's a parent's job and that's what, you know, it's nothing to do with school. But actually, I think a child's overall health and their well-being is all of our responsibility. And it would be really nice to see the focus being on a programme that every child, whatever their background, is able to access. And one final question I was going to ask, again, looking ahead to the future. Now, say just over three years from now, when we hit 2025, if the government, say, does all the right things in that sense, if, you know, we see a population census um, around uh, dental care, if we see those checks happening, how far along an improvement can you see in those three years? Potentially quite significant, actually. If we find out now where our risk areas are, so we can target more of our enhanced prevention programs in those areas that need more support and help then there's a really good chance I think on an island the small we all know each other we know who maybe families are that need more help and support 
I'm really the ever the optimist that we can get there. But I do feel in three years' time you could see potentially a, a real improvement in children's dental health on the island. Thanks to Sarah Pollard for talking with me today, and thank you for listening to the Bailiwick podcast. You can find the podcast on all the usual pod places, and don't forget to like and share. The music at the beginning and end of this podcast is I Shift My Weight by Luno. Tune in next week for more. <laughs>